This is Redemption Radio with Pastor Cody King of Redemption Calvary in Commerce City, Colorado. Here's a preview from Pastor Cody of today's message. The only ones qualified to be able to receive the salvation of Jesus, to to understand the justification that comes as a result of the death of Jesus, are those who realize they're sick, those who understand their own guilt, Those who know that they're sinners. If you don't think that you're a sinner, if you don't think that your life is broken, if you don't think that your heart is deceived and and fallen and taken out of the, the ideal plan of God, the way God made things, then you don't see any need for Jesus. The purpose of Christianity is not to pretend that we're righteous. On the contrary, Jesus came to save sinners. Pastor Cody reminds us today of this crucial fact. If we deny that we are sinful, then we're lying to ourselves and to others. But if we humbly acknowledge our sin and our need for a Savior, Jesus is willing to step in and forgive us. And as Pastor Cody points out, once we've received the grace of Christ, we are no longer subject to condemnation from God, in this life or the next. Now, turn in your Bible to the book of Romans chapter 5, And join Pastor Cody for today's edition of Redemption Radio. We're going to be in Romans chapter 5 today, starting in verse 6, verses 6 through 11. As we continue through our series in the book of Romans, just going traveling through it, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, section by section, really taking a look at what uh, Romans has to say to us. And we're going to be continuing through today in chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. Here's a question I want to want to pose to you as we start today. What is love? Or here's another way to say it. What is what about true love? When I say that, what comes into your mind? What are the thoughts that you have? What are the things that you focus on or that you think about? You see, one of those one of those concepts, this love is one of those concepts that we we tend to think that we understand until we try to describe it or define it or talk about it. You know, we, we think about what love is and, you know, we sort of have this idea of it, but it, it's almost like the mist. You, you reach out to grab it and you think you've got a hold of it and then you open your hand to realize, I don't really have anything in there. I, I don't really know what's happening inside of, of my hand. And, and love can be one of those kind of concepts. It seems elusive and uncertain. You know, most songs deal with the idea of love. A lot of movies, that's the main plot theme of it is, is love. Even, even the idea of a lot of action films, you know, it's, it's like, because I love somebody, I'm going to go and take, you know, rescue them or whatever. Movies are about it. Countless books have been written on the subject of love. And with all of these minds and time and resources and energy and effort all dedicated to this single subject, it seems as though, we still have no clarity about it beyond the idea that it's a certain feeling that you can sometimes have. That's kind of the, the, the depth of what we grasp of with the idea of love. But love can only be understood, correctly, rightly understood, and defined and have purpose if it's derived from God and it's experienced through God. 
The Lord really is the only one who can truly define and give us clarity on what love really is. And so that's actually what we're going to be looking at in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11 today. And here's our big idea. It's this, that the justifying work of Jesus on his cross is the most transcendent, unique, and powerful display of love in all of human history. The focus of all of this today is to see, we're going to look upon the love of God and how amazing his love is. I mean, if, of all of the different topics and subjects and things that we could talk about, this is one that, that I'm excited to be able, be able to share with today. This is one that I'm excited to be able to talk about today. There are a lot of things in the scripture, you know, especially when we were going through 1 Corinthians, that I didn't really necessarily want to talk about. Stuff that we go through in the scriptures, and, and it's stuff to deal with and things to think through and talk through, and they're not necessarily my most favorite subjects. And yet, Today, talking about the love of God, it's, it's, it's like the, the best thing for a preacher to ever get to discuss and get to talk about. So I'm excited about it. So let's read Romans 5, 6 through 11 today, and then we'll break it down. Romans 5, 6 says this, For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man would someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for the opportunity to open and study your word. And we thank you for this declaration of your tremendous love. We pray that you would help us to understand it a little bit more today. That you would help us to catch a, a glimpse of it, to understand what love really is and to, to be able to frame it in the right way to understand the idea of love, not based upon our fleeting emotions, but based upon the stability of who you are. And so, God, we turn our attention to you. We ask for your help. Holy Spirit, would you fill me with your presence and your strength to be able to rightly divide your word? Would you fill us with your presence that we might understand your word? And would you be glorified today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we're going to look at Romans 5, 6 through 11 in three parts, all right? The first part, verses 6 through 8, God's love contrasted. Then verses 9 and 10, God's love expanded. And then verse 11, the third part, God's love extended. Now, the first four chapters of Romans, we talked about this a little bit last week, but just to kind of get us into the frame of mind as the flow of thought of how things are being unveiled to us here in the book of Romans, the first four chapters of Romans is where it's all centered around the idea of addressing this single concept, this single thought, this single greatest human need of justification. That's what the entire first four chapters are about. It starts with the idea of God's wrath being rightly displayed against our sinfulness. And then it goes into great depth to, to declare everybody as condemned by our sinfulness before God. And therefore, the greatest need that we have above everything else is to be justified, to be looked at and declared as and to treat it as if not only had we have never sinned, but that we're just as good as Jesus. You see, we instinctively know that we're broken and guilty. We all know that. 
People try to cover it up in a lot of different ways. People try to pretend like they're not uh, you know, broken and guilty, but intrinsically, intuitively, instinctively, we just have this sense that something's not right within me. Something's off. Something's broken. Something's wrong. I, I have this guilt that I bear all the time in my life. We, we know that the, the world is constantly telling us that we're just basically good, and yet our own conscience is in contradiction to that. Our own conscience tells us that's not really true. Even though that's what somebody's saying, that we're basically good, I know that there are these wrongs within my life that need to be made right. And that's what justification is all about. It's why people get behind so many different causes. There are so many causes in our world today that people are just looking to get behind. They're just longing for an opportunity to declare their goodness, declare their righteousness. Here's the cause. I'm going to wear the thing. I'm going to do the stuff. I'm going to go through the motions. And that's going to show you that I'm not as guilty as my heart says, my conscience says I really am. I mean, one of the silly ones is, remember, when people were all about banning plastic straws? Remember those days? It wasn't that good days when we could think about plastic straws and not a bunch of other nonsense is going on in our culture and our world today. But, you know, people get behind banning plastic straws because it's a cause. Not because it actually does anything for, you know, in terms of, you know, America and plastic waste and trash that's in our oceans. It's not even coming from America. And yet, we just want to make sure that we feel righteous, we feel good about ourselves. We're doing this good thing. And so we do stuff like get behind a cause of banning plastic straws. It's why Mormons knock on your door. It's why Jehovah Witnesses knock on your door. It's why extreme Muslims will blow themselves up. It's why Buddhists are seeking enlightenment through self-denial. All of it is wrapped around. It's all revolved around self-justification. I want to justify myself. I know I'm guilty. I know I'm condemned. I know something's broken inside. And so I, I'm, ch- I'm chasing down this thing. What's going to save me? What's going to justify me? It's an atel- attempt to justify self. And so Romans 4 brings us to this idea that justification only comes through the blood of Jesus. And because it only comes through the blood of Jesus, we've got to achieve it. We've got to obtain it by grace through faith. There's nothing I can do to get it. And so Romans 5 builds on the idea of justification, the justification that Jesus gives. And last week we looked at the first five verses, and that's the results of God in justification. And today we're looking at verses 6 through 11 and the motive of God in justification. It's, it's to say, what's, what's God doing in this? In verses 6 through 11, what we're going to see in this, in this section today is the answer to the question, why would God justify ungodly people? Why would God do such a thing? What is God's motive for all of this? What's God doing? So let's look at this first part together today. Love contrasted in verses 6 through 8 of Romans 5. Romans 5, 6, read it again. It says this, For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. The death of Jesus is at the center of all of this. It's the centerpiece of everything. There's no justification apart from the death of Jesus. There's no amount of good things that you can do, no amount of religious stuff you can practice, no amount of doors you can knock on or causes you can get behind that are going to justify you. It's just not the way that it works. The only means of justification is through the blood of Jesus. 
It's the only way that we can be justified. And that, that's the how we are justified. In verses 1 through 5, it's the what. What happens as a result of justification? What else comes along with justification? And in verses 6 through 11, we have the why. Now in verse 6, what we have shown to us is that there are, it's essentially pointing to the death of Jesus. The death of Jesus is the centerpiece, the key component to understanding the meaning and purpose of life. You want to know what life's about. You want to understand what is the meaning of all of it. What's the point of everything? Well, if you don't understand the death of Jesus, you don't understand the meaning and purpose of life. And so in verse 6, we're actually given three necessary insights about Jesus' death. Because if we're confused about the death of Jesus, if we don't understand what Jesus' death is all about, then we either dive headlong into indulgence or we end up shrinking back into despair. Those are the two extremes that we tend to go toward as people in humanity when we don't understand rightly the death of Jesus. If Jesus is just some guy that died back then, yeah, I guess he's an historical figure because, you know, that's just, you know, when I look into history, he was talked about, but he was just another guy that was crucified, just like the thousands upon thousands of other people who were crucified in that era. Then, you know, we don't understand what his death was about. If we misunderstand what Jesus' death was about, then we misunderstand the meaning of life. You see, the world believes that life finds meaning either in the possessions that you have or experiences that you have. It's all about the stuff that you have. You know, if you really want to have meaning in life, you have to have that car. You have to have that house. You have to have that boat, that extra thing, that stuff. You have to go on that vacation. When I, when I go to that place and I experience this stuff or I, I'm with that person and I experience these things, then life will have meaning. When I, when I get married, then life will have meaning. When I have kids, then life will have meaning. When I get that promotion, then life will have meaning. When I'm able to buy those things, then life will have meaning. That's what the world says. That life is found, the meaning of life is in your possessions and your experiences, or that there is no meaning to life. It really just doesn't matter. Just some, you know, molecules bumped into each other and, you know, there's some friction took place and then from the goo to the zoo to you and now you just kind of exist until you die and that's just it. There's really no meaning or purpose to any of it. It's just a big weird science experiment and it's all going to go down one day. That's just, uh, either we dive into indulgence where I just indulge any motive or any desire of my flesh or there's just really no purpose or meaning at all and I'm, I'm left with despair. You see, in these three necessary insights about Jesus' death is where we find the meaning and purpose of, of life and everything is wrapped up within Jesus. Number one, notice it says, therefore, when we were without, still without strength, it, the death of Jesus was while we were without strength. You see, what this is telling us is that we have this inability to be holy on our own. We have this inability to make ourselves good and right and appropriate. And so there were, it necessitates intervention. Someone else had to come in and rescue us. We couldn't lift ourselves up. We couldn't pull ourselves out. Someone had to reach in and pull us out. It's, it's Jesus's strength in place of our weakness, where we could not keep the law of God, where we could not do enough to make ourselves holy. Jesus comes in and fulfills the law perfectly and without blemish. It was while we were without strength, that's when Jesus died for us. Notice also says, in due time, in due time, this is, this is when Jesus 
was willing to die. It wasn't just that while we were without strength, but there was also timing associated with this. And that brings up two concepts. There's two ideas wrapped up within the idea of time. This is one, it's not an accident. It, it didn't just accidentally happen that Jesus died. You know, like when we think about the death of, of our loved ones, it's, it seems accidental. It seems like it's this thing that shouldn't take place that, you know, oh, I'm, uh, you know it comes out of nowhere. It just happens to, to come into our lives and, and we don't plan for it. We don't like it. We don't necessarily enjoy the idea of it. And, and yet it takes place and it seems accidental for us. It's also not a reaction. The death of Jesus isn't this thing that was a reaction where Jesus, you know, the God, God says, oh no, people are sinful. What am I going to do now? I guess I got to figure out how to, how to put all this back together. Oh, I don't know. Let's come up with a plan. And so they get together in heaven and they get this group think, this group tanks together. What's a good plan? And they decide, hey, you know what we're going to do? We're going to send Jesus to earth to die. No, that's not the way that it worked. It's not a reaction. It's not an accident. It's the eternal plan of God. Notice what it says in Revelation 13, 8. And all the people who belonged to this world worshiped the beasts. They were the ones whose names were not written in the book of life that belongs to the lamb who was, notice this, slaughtered before the world was made. Before the world was ever made, before there ever was a world, before things ever came to be created, that's when Jesus was crucified for your sins. That the timing of this wasn't a reaction to the sin of humanity. It was actually something that was in place before everything was even created. But not only that, that's the first idea. But the second idea that the timing of Jesus's death is precisely accurate. It's, a, it's, a, it's not this thing that sort of, you know, God rolls the dice and just hopes that it all works out. It's something that's with precision and accuracy. That, that Jesus came at just the right time in order for us to be able to experience the salvation that we need. Notice thirdly in verse 6, who it's for. Notice six, verse 6, it says, For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For the ungodly. There is only one group who is qualified for salvation. Only one group of people in all the world are qualified for salvation. And it's not because of the, the things that we would normally divide or distinguish over. You know, there's, there's three basic categories that people divide themselves by. It's either by race, by status, or by gender. That's how people are typically quantified or divided. That's how our world is perpetually being divided all the time, by race, by status, or by gender. And in fact, in Galatians 3.28, we're told that there isn't any of this in Christ. You're, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, but we're all one in Christ. That in Christ, we're not divided that way. That, that the Lord doesn't look at us based on those things. And those things don't qualify you or disqualify you for salvation. That that's not the way that it works. Notice that the one group, the one group that's qualified for the salvation that Jesus supplies are the ungodly. Those are the only ones who are qualified. Here's how Jesus says it in Mark 2.17. When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come not to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. 
The only ones qualified to be able to receive the salvation of Jesus, to, to understand the justification that comes as a result of the death of Jesus, are those who realize they're sick, those who understand their own guilt, those who know that they're sinners. If you don't think that you're a sinner, if you don't think that your life is broken, if you don't think that your heart is deceived and, and fallen and taken out of the, the ideal plan of God, the way God made things, then you don't see any need for Jesus. But when you realize that you are utterly helpless and hopeless and sinful and sick and broken, you realize your desperate need for Jesus. He's the only one who can heal and who can save. Now, notice in verses 7 and 8, what we have is a contrast of divine love and human love. Let's read it again. It says in verse 7, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, in this, what we see is that there is this contrast between human love and divine love. He says, you know, in this, in verse 7, for scarcely, you know, scarcely for a righteous man. He's basically, basically what he's saying is that you know, if someone's really righteous, you might get someone to die for them. A good person, that's even less, maybe, maybe a good person, but I mean, an ungodly person, a, a, just a, a filthy kind of a person that, that's just, you know, living their lives in this debauchery and sinfulness, like why would somebody die for them? Especially if someone is their enemy, why would they do such a thing? It doesn't make any sense at all. I mean, think about it like this. Let's say that I was going to be executed. I'm going to die. That, you know, whatever, whatever scenario you want to make up is happening and I'm going to die. And you have the opportunity to take my place. That they're going to kill you instead of kill me. Are you going to volunteer? Probably not. Even if you're saying right now that you would, I'm going to say you probably would not volunteer to take my place. Why? Because that's just, it's just this thing. Like, why would I do that? Why would I trade my life for the life of somebody else. And so that's, that's the human mind. That's the way that we think. There's this self-preservation within us. And even if someone is in our minds a good person, we're thinking, well, I don't really know that I want to sacrifice myself on their behalf. You see, human love and divine love are contrasted here. And God's love is, is, is in its own category. God's love is not like our love. And we need his love to fill us and to flow through us, which is what we saw back in verse 5 last week. You see, human love, it's emotional. Human love is, is emotional. It's, it's this passive kind of a thing that sort of happens to us. It's this passive feeling that we have. It's because of how I feel. It's sort of based on circumstance. I feel this way at this time. I don't feel that way at that time. And, and it's something that we, we, you know, I fell in love. It happened to me. It's something that, that takes place from external sources coming upon me. Whereas divine love is not like that. Divine love is volitional. It's not emotional. It's volitional. Volitional means meaning that it's an active choice. It's because of who God is, not because of something that happens to him. It's not a reaction that God has. It's something that's intrinsic within who he is. In fact, 1 John 4, 8 tells us that God, in fact, is love. Not that he has love, not that he feels love, not that he likes love, not that he thinks it's a good idea, but it's part of his very character and nature. It's part of who he actually is. Here's how Alexander McLaren talks about it in his commentary, Exposition of Holy Scripture on page 103. It says it like this, but God sends his son and comes himself in his son and his son died for the ungodly and the sinner. That death reveals a love 
which is its own origin and motive. We love because we discern or we fancy we do something lovable in the object. God loves under the impulse, so to speak, of his own welling up heart. You see, human love is essentially based upon that we see some sort of value. We see some sort of beauty. We see some sort of thing within that object. And we say, we love that because of how great it is. It's like the way that I love In-N-Out Burger. How could you not love something so glorious and beautiful? How could you not look upon the cheesy, meaty glory and beauty and and not come to the conclusion, I love this burger, but it's all external. It's all out there. It's because of the, the value that I see upon that. It's not something within me. It's something within it, right? That's how human love works. God's love does not work that way. Divine love does not work that way. God doesn't look at you and say, oh, you're so amazing. You're so, I've got to have you on my team. His love doesn't derive from you. If it did, then you could do or not do things to deserve his love. Then you could do something to mess up his love for you. Instead, his love derives from himself. And because it does, because God's love derives from himself, then you and I are in a position to where we are recipients of his love because of how great he is, not because of how great we are. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Redemption Radio as we study the book of Romans with Pastor Cody. Romans gives you an in-depth idea of what to believe as a Christian, but also how to apply that as you live it out. So think about it this way. Is what you say you believe consistent with what your life is living out? It's a bit of a heart check, right? Would your life be an accurate mirror to what you claim to believe from the Bible? We hope that you continue referring back to the book of Romans and the Bible in general for guidance on how to live your life. For additional resources and to hear this message again, head over to redemptioncalvary.org. You can listen to additional messages from this series, and you can also subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a single message. Once again, that's redemptioncalvary.org. If you'd like to request some prayer about what you're going through or how things relate to what you heard today, you can reach us at 720-466-5358. Again, that number is 720-466-5358. If you're interested in knowing more about this ministry or want to learn more about Redemption Calvary located in Commerce City, Colorado, please visit our website, redemptioncalvary.org. That's all the time we have for today. Join Pastor Cody next time for another look at the Book of Romans right here on Redemption Radio. Redemption Radio.